Hello, my name is Adam Eason. Welcome to episode 88 of Hypnosis Weekly. Hello hypnosis friends and a very warm welcome to Hypnosis Weekly. Once again in my own highly biased opinion I think I have a festive treat of a show lined up for you today. It's our final show of the year. Uh, later on today uh, I will be presenting my final lecture of the year Then I intend on loosening my tie, undoing my top button, hanging my jacket on the back of my chair, ordering the first of many large gins, dancing the night away, having shenanigans aplenty with my fellow hypnosis friends at the Anglo-European College of Therapeutic Hypnosis Christmas Party. Yes, the stuff of legends. Uh, before I then break for the festive season, um, um, that's, the, that's the day of me recording this anyway. Um, I'm in a short while. I'll be sharing with you this week's interview with my guest, Daniel Ryan. Uh, then we'll have this week's hypnosis in the news stories, examining the media where hypnosis is featured, offering up some personal subjective commentary on the ways hypnosis is portrayed in the media, but also comment on some of the content of those media stories. We then return with our professional discussion with my guest, Daniel Ryan. We'll be talking about all things regression, past life regression and related topics. We shall round things off with this week's hypnosis evidence-based factoid before I bid you farewell until the new year. As I said at the beginning of every Hypnosis Weekly episode, this podcast is something that I want to encompass a feeling of embracing diversity, celebrating the field of hypnosis and encouraging friendly, professional, enjoyable discussion and debate, as well as doing its best to inform and educate. I do not share the same stance as most of our guests and at times have major differences in approach and leaning but all are incredibly lovely people with whom I'd happily talk with until late in the pub uh, following their time here on Hypnosis Weekly. Um, if you have questions, queries, thoughts or feedback, do get in touch via the Hypnosis Weekly website. All the references made in the discussions along with related links are posted at each episode on the website www.hypnosis-weekly.com. That's just hypnosisweekly with a hyphen in the middle dot com. You can add your thoughts, comments and make any suggestions there too. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else to help us reach more of the hypnosis community. It's greatly appreciated. If you enjoy this podcast, then please do go give us a favourable rating, even a review at iTunes. I'll be a BFF if you do. Um, it takes just a few seconds, one or two clicks to give us a favourable rating, and it does us a huge amount of favours. So what are you waiting for? So first of all today is this week's interview with Daniel Ryan. Um, as you will hear, I met Daniel earlier this year at the UK Hypnosis Convention. I met him following uh, my own presentation. And he's someone that I found incredibly likeable straight away. Very humble, uh, very open, very agreeable. Um, um, and it wasn't until later on that him and I had started Googling each other that I realised how good it would be to have Daniel on this show. And I'll talk a little bit more about that later on. So for now, Get comfy, my friends. Turn up the volume. Sip on your tea. Let's learn about Daniel Ryan and let's enjoy this week's interview. So, 
as I've just been discussing, I'm delighted to welcome to Hypnosis Weekly this week's guest, the one and only Mr. Daniel Ryan. Daniel, welcome to the Hypnosis Weekly podcast. Thank you very much, Adam. It's a pleasure to be here. So um, let's learn a bit about you, first of all. Tell us a little bit about how did you get into the field, what your background is, and how you've arrived at where you are. Yeah, appreciate it. The, the story of how I was introduced to the field of hypnosis is a father-son story. My dad was a hypnotherapist, also oh, a wow. regression therapist. Yeah, he was for a time, uh, while he was specializing in regression in particular, the president of the Association for Past Life Research and Therapies, and was training internationally, teaching groups of students all over the world. And I was just lucky just really lucky to, uh, I think the first time was the age of 13. It could have been 14. The memory's fuzzy. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I was introduced at a very young age at, uh, to wow. hypnotherapy and regression therapy and could see the benefits immediately and was introduced to everything else that exists inside these guided therapies, as we know. Things like meditation, philosophy, science, uh, you know, just all of these tangential areas of study in which I could explore and talk to my dad about. And I had the good fortune of being around a lot of his colleagues and peers. So that was really where it began for me. And at the time, I didn't know that I would eventually become a practitioner, of course. I was really just a kid hanging out with my father, yeah. thinking thinking about girls and the things <laughs> teenagers do. Um, and then through my 20s, there was a kind of... Uh, you know, a twisting, winding road uh, back to the thing that was always there in front of me when in my late 20s, there was a, a plan put in place for me to take over my dad's practice. Actually, he was oh. based in Morristown, New Jersey, which is about where I grew up. I grew up in the town next to that. And I'm yeah. now based in New York City. And there was a, a plan put in place for me to take over his practice, which would ultra, ultimately never uh, come to fruition because he would pass away a bit early for it, too, uh, which really just accelerated the process. Yeah. Uh, and that was in 2011. And, uh, and yes, yeah, so I've been in private practice since that time. And my office is here in Manhattan uh, with my friend and uh, also mentor who I trained with in 2012, Melissa Tears. Right. Yes, yes, yes. So, um, um, you, you know what? This is this is crazy um, um, because you are the second person with, with, with the, the, that has said something of a similar ilk that their father introduced it and and were kind of exposed to this field um, um, a great deal. I had yeah. um, um, I, I had a very, very similar conversation. Funnily enough, um, it was around regressive um, 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 components um, of, of therapy and analysis. Um, um, by a guy who um, called, called David Craft, a lovely guy, psychotherapist on Harley Street in London, who's an honorary secretary of uh, the Royal Society of Medicine, and, and happened to be telling me that it, it was his father who was a psychotherapist that got him interested, and he was engaged um, um, and, and had a lifetime, really, of, of being fascinated. And um, he had some really funny stories, in fact. He used to say that um, um, his dad couldn't get a babysitter one year, so at the age of eight... Um, he took him to um, um, took him to uh, his first psychotherapy conference, um, <laughs> um, um, and and that um, um, his dad used to pay them, um, used to give them money for the for the amount of time if they could hold a spider in their hands for thirty seconds, they would get ten p. 
<laughs> and so desensitization was going on from a very young age. Mm. Um, I, I, I'm sorry um, for, for mm. interrupting, but it just, um, um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, I, I love to hear that. I love to hear that. Tell us a little bit then where you're at with hypnosis. Hypnosis is a subject. Um, you, you know, how do you define hypnosis and, and how did you arrive at that, dis, that, that definition? How do you explain it to clients and people that ask you about it and so on? Yeah. Uh, as I speak to people about hypnosis, particularly people who are not familiar with it, I first emphasize the absence of the definition and draw the attention to this place where the definition is supposed to be, yet it is not. <laughs> and that, <laughs> yeah. is, that is the kind of starting point for the how and the why of how the entrenched PR problems of hypnosis are so stubborn and persistent and why there is so little understanding on a more popular level and why something that is cost-effective and generally takes less time and is as effective as a lot of other more popular uh, treatments, we'll say, uh, you know, remains kind of in the shadows, uh, you know, is again by first drawing attention to the missing, the absent definition. Yeah. And, then, and then talking about uh, the core principle, which I do believe to be true, uh, that all hypnosis is self-hypnosis, even though, of course, there are countless external stimuli vying for our attention and poking at our desires and fears at all time, mm. especially in New York City. And I can't leave <laughs> my home without seeing more advertisements than my brain can uh, process. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, this idea of all hypnosis being self-hypnosis and the most powerful hypnotist at any given time being the voice in one's head and so much of reality being based upon perception, filters and biases that some we will be conscious of and others not. Yeah. Uh, and then talking about all hypnosis as self-hypnosis really, and this is where Melissa's training uh, becomes so uh, important in my life and in my career. Uh, the idea truly, uh, John Overdorf too, the model of the feedback loop uh, as the trance and the trance as a feedback loop and the input going into the output and back into the input and so on and so forth. Uh, the other way around, actually, input through the output. Sure. But uh, either way, this idea of the feedback loop, the Ouroboros, the snake eating its own tail, yeah. uh, and this model of attention, and you know, working in an Ericksonian systems-oriented sense, uh, and you know, just doing everything I can to speak and teach from all sides, coming from uh, a, a more spiritually bent foundation around hypnosis, regression therapy, uh, meditation included, and over the course of my career, uh, really focusing more and more on neurology, physiology, the brain, uh, these aspects, which, uh, you know, as we know, are just crucial, essential. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, yeah. I'm, they're, they're, they're it. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so tell me a little bit about um, you know you mentioned Melissa and you work you have a, clearly have a close working relationship with her. Tell me about um, 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 some more about your major influences in this field. Maybe maybe some books, some authors that have taught you, um, teachers that have been the most influential upon you, and perhaps some of the reasons why. Yeah, you know, from within the field, I would have to describe myself foremost as an Ericksonian, even. But uh, there are layers in between me and him, like Melissa and like my dad and like John Overdorf. And also, you know, philosophy and so many other 
related areas of study uh, have informed my opinions about hypnosis, uh, regression therapy, guided therapies in general. For instance, you know, being a meditator and studying meditation uh, for years before, well, I, it's, it's interesting, the timeline, because I had this yeah. foundation of awareness and hypnosis and regression therapy as a kid, which I didn't, I used it and I valued it, but I valued it, valued it more socially the way a boy would or a teenager would, telling my friends my dad was a hypnotherapist and watching their faces <laughs> light up and the questions and doing tricks at parties and past life regressions and stuff like that yeah. for fun. Um, and then I began to study meditation in my 20s, which I came to see, you know, speaking abstractly a little bit about the internal experience of meditation and hypnosis. Now, I came to see, uh, in fact, I use a metaphor. I keep interrupting myself. <laughs> I use a metaphor that meditation is a glass of water, hypnosis is a swimming pool, and past life regression is the ocean. Right. And that in meditation, we have the water. We can see it there. In and of, it's refreshing. We, we might drink it. We can see the contents of the glass. We can see through the contents of the glass, yet the glass is still full. It is not empty. Yeah. So this, during meditation, I consider it to be a fairly accurate metaphor for my own mind, that the contents of the mind are still there. They become still. They settle. And the refreshment of meditation can take place like a glass of water. Uh, but it is contained. Yeah. And then in hypnosis, we have this larger container, the swimming pool, that has around it these boundaries and we can go deep, we can stay shallow, we can travel around a bit, you know, in hypnosis, we can go into the past, we can go into the future, but it's contained. There are boundaries. We can see where it begins and where it ends. Past life regression then is like an ocean. It's huge, it's mysterious, it's often dangerous, it's unpredictable. You know, we, we can go sailing, and at one moment the seas are calm, and in the next it's treacherous. Uh, it's, it is often inspiring and mysterious and beautiful. It's all of these things. Yeah. So, uh, so I like this metaphor, and I, I do also numerically refer to each one meditation as one, getting to that oneness, that place of uh, absence of separation absence of attachment to something external or other. And then hypnosis as two, a conversation, a dialogue. Uh, you know, there is the object and the subject of trance. Mm. Um, so this is kind of a, a long way of answering your question uh, tangentially. Uh, but yeah, this area of study, meditation, the philosophy of reincarnation, Alan Watts has been a huge influence on me. He has a talk that yeah. we can find on YouTube that's called The Limits of Language that I think is the best talk on NLP that's not on NLP ever. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I, I love Alan Watts. Yeah, he's, he's incredible. Yeah. I um, just listen to his voice and let it soothe me. Talk about hypnosis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, so, so with the, um, you know, with, with the experience of past life regression, um, that you've, that you've made reference to, um, um, and, and some of the other experiences that you have, um, what are, 
What are some of the most impressive applications of hypnosis that you've directly witnessed? Has it, has it been within past life regression or has it been, been other things or, or related things or, or experiences that have occurred within when you've, when you've been exploring within um, some of the past life regression stuff that you've done? Yeah, I mean, there have been many, many impressive applications of past life regression or regression therapy in general that I've seen over the years. A, a lot of the most impactful demonstrations of hypnosis I can think of and consider are more social events, even things like magic tricks or, or sociological things that you'll see take place yeah. in attention. And I find all of that, those things that will just happen in daily life on the sidewalk as, and watching people respond differently to different things, I find those examples of hypnosis and the socially uh, invisible things that are hiding in play, plain sight uh, usually to be the most interesting. Past life regression, e even hypnotherapy, to tell you the truth, again, coming back to the way I saw it as a kid, on face value, I always kind of saw it as two things. Really. There's two sides to this coin. One, it's kind of boring. You know, I mean, to be observing from the outside, remembering as a child's point of view, a kid who's hanging out with his dad who has been dragged along to, to something he <laughs> wasn't wanted to be at is, you know, watching this kind of whispery demonstration take place over the course of 45 or 50 minutes, something like that it feels like an eternity. Uh, and of course, I'm spacing out, listening to my father's voice, not realizing I'm in the trance. Uh, but you know, that's what's happening at the time. I can see this clearly now looking back. And then the other side of that coin is witnessing after that whispery kind of abstract exercise that I wasn't sure what to make of this man's phobia disappears. Yeah. This man's relationship to heights that he had been cripplingly afraid of without any context or sense of the origin of previously now cannot find in his body or in his system any feeling of this fear. Uh, so witnessing these really powerful transformations, I know it's kind of a, uh, a big word, I don't mean to speak hyperbolically, but yeah. what seemed like these transformations happen over the course of couple, a couple hours, uh, watching my dad work was tremendously impactful to me. And, yeah. and he had a wonderful way of working, he really did. He was, very different than I am, and we practice very, very differently, as we would have to. Uh, my father had an interesting story. He was actually trained by the U.S. military in hypnosis in the late 1950s. Oh, wow. And, and was taught uh, in a program that could have been MKUltra or something equally kind of, uh, you know, it was Manchurian candidate stuff. We yeah. can be sure of that. Uh, and he was taught in a very authoritarian, classic, direct suggestion form and found that he was actually quite good at that. He had also been adopted and was an orphan uh, for the first 10 or so years of his life and came from nothing. And just, uh, we can assume, I, I don't have a lot of detail in the stories. I didn't ask him many questions because I didn't want to bring up painful memories for him. But it's safe to assume he knew a lot of abuse and trauma early in his life. Uh, so over the course of his life, following this training in the military, he then goes to work at Valley Forge, Forge Hospital in Pennsylvania and uh, is set on this path as a counselor and becomes a kind of Ericksonian hypnotherapist, eventually a regression therapist. Uh, but he had a wonderful way of working with trauma. 
a wonderful, wonderful way of working with trauma. And again, a very different way than I have. Mm. He was, uh, keeping in mind, he was from a different time, working with people in a different place. He had a way of guiding people safely to repressed trauma, helping them release it and resolve it and, and moving them safely to the other side of that. And I focus more on positive psychology than he does. I, I simply notice something more refreshing necessary for the time and place that I'm working in here in New York City in, in 2017, almost 2018. Um, but the way my dad worked and watching his, his empathy, just his simple human compassion that you probably couldn't teach, uh, that you know came from a life and hardships that he knew. Yeah. Um, was was tremendously impactful, and I absorbed that. I absorbed yeah. uh, non-verbally. Yeah, uh, I, I think it's lovely. To, I, I love hearing things like that because, you know, I think it's always good for, for those of us that work within therapeutic fields or clinical fields of, of any kind, I think, to know that the person that we are is so influential. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm Just t tell me a little bit, Daniel, um, you know, throughout the years, if, if you could go back, you know, to when you started out, you know, knowing the stuff that you know now, that you've, that you've developed, the way in which you've developed, is there anything that you would do differently? And if so, if so, what? Is there any advice that the person that you are today would give that, that younger you just embarking um, um, upon your career? Is there anything that you would then extend the advice to a hypnotherapist of today? Well, there's definitely a lot of advice I would extend to hypnotherapists today, including myself, things I feel I'm aware of, things I feel like you're aware of, that there is just oceans of space for thought leadership. Um, there are entrenched PR problems in, in this field. The first question I asked you at the, the absolutely wonderful UK hypnosis convention where we met in November uh, after your talk was about your experience of communicating your ideas of hypnosis and speaking for the field and what kind of responses you were getting. And you mentioned we weren't able to go deep into it, but you mentioned there was resistance and I can say the same. Yeah. Uh, um, so, you know, there are entrenched PR problems within the field and I personally acknowledging them. Yeah. I acknowledge the challenges, but I think they actually create a ton of opportunities uh, that, hypnosis as a field and, and hypnotherapists uh, as practitioners have yet to really organize around and focus on. Um, so I, I just, again, I see tons and tons of room for creativity and new kinds uh, of practice that, of course, needed to be guided ethically, that needed to be guided responsibly, that need to be well-trained. There needs to be all of these things in place. Um, which, again, is another challenge of the field because it is a little bit, at least from where I sit, and I consider the Center for Integrative Hypnosis, where I'm fortunate enough to have my office here in, in New York City, I'm not aware of uh, a more significant hub or source in the East Coast for people who are interested in hypnosis and want to be connected to an international community. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I credit... My, again, my friend and mentor, Melissa, with that more than anything else, she's, uh, it's a, a wonderful time to be around her and her, she's doing incredible work. Uh, so I'm, I'm grateful to her for that. And I, I tried to give that 
as much as I can to the people that I mentor and the, the students that I work with and the clients that I work with. Yeah. My dad was like that too. So I, I also have the good fortune of knowing what it's like to be close to sources in this field and want to become one myself and would tell other uh, aspiring hypnotherapists to also, to the extent that they're interested, undering, uh, understanding that there are, are personality types here and uh, people may not be interested in this kind of thing. But to to set your your longer vision on something like that. Uh, so yeah, to, my advice to young practitioners, and I suppose myself, I don't have any regrets. If I could do anything different, that long and winding road that I described before, I would just pull that taut and make the line straight and get <laughs> and get here ten years ago or something. Yeah. Uh, but, but that said, again, I don't regret anything. Uh, but my advice to all of us really uh, is to see the blind spots. Uh, one of the, the great benefits of, and I would love to talk to David Croft about this, the, I'm very interested in second generation regression therapists and hypnotherapists, obviously, because I have my own story of that, but I think that the, I think that there is a, a direct and, I don't know, again, to me, I suppose it's interesting, and it might just be because it is also my story, but the impact that having a parent uh, do this kind of thing and to be part of that, to witness it, to work with your parents in that way, it's actually a tremendous gift. I mean, it, it's, it's working with your parents and understanding the human apparatus. Nobody tells us what to do with our minds, uh, or at least most of us do not get that training. Uh, so I felt myself fortunate that my father gave me some of that yeah. in life. Um, so yeah, it, it's just to see these blind spots, to, to lean into what conventional thinking would think of as the challenges or the problems. The problems aren't usually problems. You know, we, we also spoke a little bit about uh, regression therapy and the problems of regression therapy at the convention. And, and I mentioned there that I feel like the Buddhists kind of solved that one centuries ago and that Alan Watts has this wonderful quote, again, speaking of Alan Watts, that the past and the future, he has come to realize that the past and the future are real illusions and that they only exist in the present and that that's all there is and all there ever will be. Mm. Uh, and that, you know, the reconstructive nature of memory is not problematic to regression therapy. It's an opportunity for hypnotherapy. Uh you know, the reconstructive nature of memory and speaking about regression in memory and time from all sides is a service to our clients and respects the intelligence of our clients. Um, I, I've, over the course of the last couple years, and stop me if I'm rambling. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's okay. But uh, it's just one more point, you know, over the yeah. course of the last couple years, in terms of looking at the, uh, the subject of memory and regression therapy and past life regression and memory retrieval, um, I, I think in terms of my own position today, just my position, it's memory retrieval, broadly speaking, that I, I think for me has the most landmines throughout it. And uh, that, you know, to do memory retrieval, which I don't generally do. And the very few times people have come to me for memory retrieval, the first thing we talk about is memory reconsolidation, the reconstructive nature of memory, 
what information exactly we're looking for and why. Confirmation bias. Uh, again, uh, the vast, you know, just all of the landmines yeah. that exist yeah. throughout that territory. Um, and after we have a solid understanding there, you know, if the person is still interested, I think good work can occur, actually, because speaking hypothetically now, once the practitioner and the client have reached a, a common understanding, again, again, of the reconstructive nature of memory and the specific goal of this exercise to get information and for what, uh, then, you know, I think good work can potentially occur. Uh, but yeah, again, sure. it's, I ultimately do not see these areas as challenges. I see them as opportunities. Sure, sure, sure. I, I appreciate that. And, and, and we're, we're, we're going to dig a bit deeper into that subject um, in a short while. Um, I'm in our discussion with uh, Daniel a little bit later on. We're going to be talking about some of these subjects in a bit more detail as well. Um, um, so it's going to be some fascinating discussion there. Um, for now, um, Daniel, where can people go to learn more about your work, your approach to hypnosis and, and so on? Daniel Ryan CRT is my website, DanielRyanCRT.com. You can find all of my contact information there. You can email me through the website. My phone number is there as well. And, uh, yeah, I do events locally and all over the world. Really, I'll be in Los Angeles next year. I'm based in New York City. I'll be back at the UK Hypnosis Convention in November 2018. I look forward to that. Uh, so, yeah, DanielRyanCRT.com. Great, great, great. And there will be a link um, to Daniel's website uh, over at this page, this episode's page of the Hypnosis Weekly website. Um, we'll be back in uh, uh, a few minutes' time with this week's guest, Daniel Ryan. Um, I'm really rolling our sleeves up and getting stuck into um, some discussion and debate uh, with regards to some of Daniel's specialist subjects. Um, we'll be right back. <music> I really enjoyed that. More from Daniel in just a short while. Um, on to this week's Hypnosis in the News slot then. Now, this week I'm speaking about um, hypnotherapists actually wanting to feature in the media rather than about specific media stories themselves. Um, you know, back in, the, back in the 1970s, there was a band called Dr. Hook. Uh, my dad used to play a tape cassette, uh, uh, The Greatest Hits of Dr. Hook, in, uh, uh, in the family car when we were going on, on holidays and going off on long journeys. And uh, so I used to know all the songs to all of the Dr. Hook songs, uh, probably uh, all of the words, rather, to all the Dr. Hook songs. And um, um, s some of you more mature listeners will have heard of them, but they, they, they had a chart-topping song that was called Cover of the Rolling Stones. And they sang, want to see my picture on the cover, want to buy five copies for my mother, want to see my smiling face on the cover of the Rolling Stones. Now, that's what all us hypnotherapists want too, isn't it? Big-time media coverage. Because if we do, our therapy rooms will bulge at the seams, overflow with clients, overrun with clients. And we'll have credibility and be considered a hotshot superstar hypnotherapist. And our mums will proudly leave a copy of the newspaper article lying around for when the ladies of the WI pop round for a coffee morning and could all be duly impressed. Now, where am I going with this? Uh, you may well be asking. Well, let me explain. Um, a little while ago, uh, I was mentioned in an article in uh, The Sun 
uh, daily newspaper here. Um, um, it was a great success story, a client that I'd worked with way back in 2009, lovely man by the name of Adam Broomfield Strawn. Um, he was featured and he was telling his story about how he overcame a debilitating phobia um, and uh, about the fear of the childbirth experience. Um, um, he feared being present at the birth of his son. And I was really proud to share the story. Um, on all our media channels. Um, I featured only briefly in it because when I was interviewed, um, the journalist said I used too many big words that would not suit the Sun newspaper readers, um, which actually I'm, I'm quite proud of. I'm more proud of that, that they elected not to use so much of my big words um, um, than, than I am actually about the, the, the outcome of the, the article, to be quite honest. Um, any, anyway, I've, I've put a link to the, 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 this particular story. Um, it was entitled, I had to undergo hypnotherapy to see my baby born. Um, it's a lovely story. Uh, with a happy ending and I think it's great to see these types of stories find their way into the public to demonstrate what hypnotherapy is capable of. Um, and that, that's not my main point here today. Several of the graduates of my college and uh, uh, hypnotherapy peers, they ask me, you know, how do you manage to get that article organised? And the truth is that, that I, I didn't organise it. In fact, I openly told them all that I do not make a huge amount of effort at all to get this type of media attention. Um, if the client wishes to share his or her story and has the opportunity or connections, then it's lovely, as was the case with this particular Sun article. Um, but I don't actively seek this kind of thing anymore. The journalist and the media group um, have asked to do more pieces with me, and I've not taken them up on it. Why not? Why not, Adam? Um... Because I don't believe it's what builds a hypnotherapy business. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, I've had a lot of people, I've, I've discussed this topic with other people and mentioned it before. And they've said, well, you know, I've had calls from, from media articles. I'm not saying that, that media articles are a bad thing. Okay. But I do think that they make, that they do not make a massive contribution in reality to the number of clients that a hypnotherapist will see in his or her hypnotherapy consulting rooms in the long run. A major article may get you a small amount of kudos um, among a small number of peers. This might be useful for somebody like myself, for whom it's important to develop kudos amongst professionals. You know, I run a training college. I offer, I offer training CPD to fellow hypnotherapy professionals and so on. Um, though I think it's probably minimal use even to that end. However, if you are purely a hypnotherapist, do you need kudos amongst your peers? Not necessarily, perhaps not, not even really. Maybe if you're seeking referrals from professional peers. I think you can make those connections in far simpler ways, like meeting up, like networking, like forum discussions, and also by being good um, at what you do and building a quality reputation based upon results and professionalism. Some might argue that a major article featuring you may help you to be perceived as credible by prospective clients. Again, I think there are better ways of developing the same perception. Again, good, getting good quality results for your clients, being professional in your business is a great starting point for this. If you sat down and analysed it, I suspect very, very few hypnotherapists indeed actually derive any properly beneficial long-term impact to their business as a result of these types of of articles and certainly any impact will not be sustained for for long um, unless there is an ongoing you know an ongoing exposure um, um, the same kind that you would get through perhaps display type of advertisements you see every week I see a handful of pretty poor quality provincial newspaper art, uh, articles and advertisements 
um, um, of newly qualified hypnotherapists who want to tell a story a local to a local journalist that they're open for shop and this is what they can help with. Or provincial newspapers that are offering a, an interview with a local seasoned hypnotherapist who's offering a generic spiel about what they do and how they help people. And these type of articles make, may make you feel good for a few moments. They might put a momentary smile on the face of anybody who knows you already who sees it. They might make your mum proud, as I mentioned earlier on. But do they actually cause and really contribute to droves of people starting to book hypnotherapy sessions with you? Um, and, and if not, why do so many hypnotherapists insist upon and persist with this, this avenue or place so much importance upon it? Um, or perhaps there are bigger mainstream newspapers with success stories about someone who has eaten nothing but cotton wool for a century and overcame it with hypnotherapy, or an individual who reduced 50 stone and no longer needs to wear the clown trousers each day, or an individual who spent 25 years unable to leave the garden shed for fear of treading on a piece of stray Lego. But a hypnotherapist helped them and now they're free and they're roaming the streets again. You know, I wonder, do these articles really lead to droves and groves of specific paying clients? Not really, I don't think. Let's be honest, an article featuring anyone outside of London is unlikely to attract people to travel great distances for hypnotherapy, you know, especially if you're a provincial, local-based hypnotherapist on, on, on the periphery somewhere in the UK, for example. You're more likely to spur on interest in the field of hypnotherapy and help hypnotherapists get more inquiries, which is great, thanks, but it's not going to be that long-lived an impact. Again, then, I ask the question, why do so many hypnotherapists persist with this and consider it important? Is it ego? Is it someone telling them to do it and that it's important? Is it simply a way of burning up some extra energised enthusiasm that they don't want to spend doing something more productive or perhaps more sober? Um, if, if a story was a direct endorsement and contained direct links, it might be different. You know, I mean, well, we had some of our um, um, CD products endorsed by a doctor in a national newspaper um, several years ago. And we sold lots of products that weekend. But a feature about you as a hypnotherapist is potentially less likely to result in the same sort of impact, you know. Um, the media also tends to bend stories a little bit um, in a way that suits them best. They want impressive headlines that will cause people to read that newspaper. And that's what this regular slot very often touches upon um, and, and that I look to, to highlight very often within this podcast throughout the episodes. You know, the media are not always necessarily interested in educating the public accurately about hypnosis and hypnotherapy. I'm not really keen to fuel that for the sake of some cheap publicity from a personal perspective. Heck, though, you know, that, that's a debate and a discussion for another day. You know, my own work has featured on primetime BBC One, on ITV, on children's BBC. I know that's impressive, right? Um, I've been on Radio 2, Radio 5, as well as in almost every one of the major national UK newspapers, numerous glossy magazines, every single running magazine known to man, as well as a more specialist press. And they've all been temporarily very good for my ego. They've helped with book sales on occasion. But it was not these things that had people wanting to come and see me as a hypnotherapist. 
Chasing media exposure should not be your main idea for how to grow your hypnotherapy practice. Anyone telling you to do so, I think, is misleading you. The media works for a very, very small number of elite individuals that have regular TV appearances or their own TV shows, and they're not realistically many hypnotherapists who are going to be able to do that. Media stories are great for our field. They create a certain degree of healthy publicity about the possibilities that exist for anyone looking for health solutions. Media stories often portray hypnosis as being powerful and beneficial, and we can, in turn, you know, educate the public and our clients in ways to correct any misconceptions and misinformation that, uh, uh, that the media spreads. However, the same media exposure does not necessarily build thriving hypnotherapy practices. Don't be fooled into thinking it does. I would seek out more effective ways and means of developing your business. And heck, if you really want to learn how to build you know, a, a, an effective, thriving hypnotherapy business, go seek out people that are doing it you know, and, and, and get mentored and so on. Um, um, and, and I just felt that it was one of those things that I really wanted to get across this time out. Um, Links to the stories that I've mentioned and link to a sort of written version of what I've been talking about here are over at this episode's page of the Hypnosis Weekly website. So next up, we have this week's professional discussion then. I welcome back Daniel Ryan. It's a long time ago that I welcomed Roy Hunter onto the show to discuss regression and related topics. And I felt that he responded to the criticisms of those approaches with real professionalism. Um... As you'll hear me mention, when I first met Daniel, I didn't realise or recognise that he was such a strong proponent of regression and past life regression. I made a bit of a faux pas by partially denouncing those topics before we'd even gotten to know each other. However, he was keen to speak to me about those topics and took some time out to go and explore articles that I'd written on those topics. And he was still keen to speak, speak to me and he was enthusiastic about learning more and so on. Um, and it was this attitude and the way in which Daniel communicated himself and his and his stance on these topics that really made me want to invite him to be a guest on this show. And, and here we are now. Anyway, here is this week's professional discussion with Daniel Ryan. Enjoy. So I'm back now with this week's guest, Daniel Ryan. Um, you know, back, uh, Daniel mentioned earlier on that um, him and I met each other at the UK Hypnosis Convention um, earlier this year, uh, a couple of months back now. Um, well, it seems like it seems like longer than it actually is, I think, because yeah. because kind of Christmas is getting near and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Um, so it's about six weeks ago. Um, um, and and, you, you know, I was uh, I just given my presentation. I uh, just done my lecture and getting off the stage and I was just fielding some questions from people and there comes to stand and, 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 and ask me a couple of a couple of things. This incredibly strikingly handsome young man uh, comes up, asks me a bunch of stuff and in the kind of frenzy of post lecture, I start saying, yeah, well, you know, some of the issues that I face with the fit is, is, is that there, there tends to be some, some problems, some pseudoscience that gets discussed, such as notions around the subconscious mind and regression, for example. And then I looked at Daniel's name badge and I saw it was Daniel Ryan that I was speaking to and properly it started to click. And then it properly started to click with me about 30 seconds after um, I said to, that, that we would catch each other later on, um, that actually he was going to be speaking on these subjects that I'd just been 
you know, I'd just been saying that I had some challenges with. And, and, and what I loved about this kind of really brief um, 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 kind of discussion that we had when we were just meeting each other was that rather than digging his heels in and getting pissy with me or anything like that, actually had this incredibly um, um, engaging, open mind where I just wanted to learn more and discuss more and, and have this open debate. And, then, and, and we spoke again later on. He said, you know, what, Adam, I've just been I've just been Googling. I've been Googling some of your articles and I see some of the, you know, I, I, I've been seeing what you've got to say about my subject. I'd love it if you come and speak, uh, come and see my presentation, um, which sadly uh, I, I had I had to leave the convention um, to go to go and be with my family at an event, and so did did not have the opportunity to go and do that. And so it was really keen. I, I was really keen, and the reason we're having this this discussion and so on t today is because I really wanted Daniel to come um, um, onto the show and and discuss his his favourite subjects and his his area of expertise um, um, with me ab about this. Um, Daniel, first of all, just just tell us a little bit how how did your interest develop in these areas when we're talking about regression and past life regression and things like that? Tell me a little bit about about your interest and and how it developed. Hmm. Well, going back to my early experiences with my father and his leading past life regressions and groups through past life regressions and day long experiences that I would attend. That was genuinely because of my age. I was 13, 14 years old. I was right, right in that sweet spot for young men where whatever happens in those ages is going to leave pretty powerful <laughs> impressions. Yeah. Uh, and it was my introduction to subjects such as reincarnation and philosophy and guided therapies, counseling, healing, hypnosis, trance, uh, all of these subjects kind of in one place within my family. And of course, that kind of sent me out, you know, as much as I did continue to look at and see my father as a source, and we would have a, stu a student-teacher relationship through at least the second half of uh, my life up until the point of his passing. Yeah. Um, it, it sent me out with, you know, to my undergraduate education at Emerson College, where I graduated with a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Writing, Literature, and Sociology, and receiving board certifications after that in regression therapy and hypnotherapy, continuing to study and learning meditation at the School of Practical Philosophy here in New York City, where I was a student and then a teacher for eight years. And my father was also a teacher there. Uh, so this is another thing that I kind of inherited from him. Um, so in all of these areas and pursuits uh, were my own motivations, we'll say, my own drives, which also I should mention begin in the arts more than anything else. I'm a man of letters at the end of the day and have been playing music and writing and working with arts and artists all my life in some fashion and continue to in my practice. Uh, I highly value a scientific approach to experience into the world and to observation. Uh, but I myself am a man of letters and, and seem to attract a lot of artists in my practice as a result. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um, now, off, off air, we spoke about some of the, some of the, some of the terminology. And, and I'm guessing mm. that, it, you know, it, it's more than it's more than just just semantics in some instances, because, you know, people have 
people people almost frame things and um, have a certain perception of things based upon the terminology. You know, when, when we're talking about regression, when we're talking about past life regression and some of the related topics, what are we what are we actually talking about here? And 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 what does what does what does each of these things mean? Just just clarify before we kind of go into the discussion. Appreciate it. It it is layered and nuanced, and in my opinion. Uh, organized in such a way that it's difficult on the consumer side to understand, uh, which is the biggest bummer in my opinion, because who loses in this is the, the young person who's suffering from anxiety and doesn't know what they don't know and, and what's available. Uh, so there are three main terms in my opinion for the three different approaches to regression therapy, which have a lot in common. The first is regression therapy, which is a broad term that I consider to be a part of hypnotherapy, hypnotherapy being the larger umbrella. Yeah. And within regression therapy, you have a very wide spectrum of experiences, including present life memories, past life memories, non-human experiences, extraterrestrial experiences, animal experiences, kind of, you know, there's no limit. Um, and that's regression therapy. Then past life regression more specifically focusing on past lifetimes, including the philosophies and concepts of reincarnation and, and living multiple lifetimes. And then finally, regression to cause, which can be present life memories and can be past life memories. And regression to cause, as the name implies, is that we are regressing back to memories that would be a what's called an inciting incident sometimes or a inciting event or a, you know, it's got many different names and it's not just semantic uh, although I do think that it having many different names creates more problems than solutions yeah yeah, yeah. sure sure so you know we, we we spoke about I mean you started you started to um, um, discuss a little bit when during the interview earlier um, um, about some of the challenges, perhaps that, that okay. regression regression faces, some of the some of the critique um, that it undergoes, um, such as the reconstructive nature of memory. Tell me a little bit about perhaps some of the some of the applications and the way in which you apply it that you think perhaps it either answers answers that critique or, or or makes you makes you feel more comfortable with its with its you know correct use, so to speak. Well, you know, there are five problems in regression uh, that I have identified. There could be more. Maybe there's less. You know, This is a discussion, uh, as I consider. But in my practice and in my thinking today, I see five areas to address. The first, I'll try to go through this fast. The first is the word regression. Moving backwards, I, and this is a semantic issue perhaps, but uh, I've had few people, but I think correct people, point out you know, the idea of moving backwards in general is not always appealing yeah. to people. Yeah. Um, it's certainly not in a process of healing where one might want to feel like they're moving forward. So that's one. Two, lack of evidence and data to support things like experiences of past lifetimes, even the dubious nature of present life memories, again, the reconstructive nature of memories we're speaking about. So lack of evidence and data, which there also are, uh, areas where there is some evidence, some data, and you know, I, I always find this area very important to discuss. Really, just because no matter what 
plot of land we we put our flag on somebody's going to look at us weird <laughs> and say and say that no no this data set says this so you know that's this is bogus so you know more than anything else i really try to maintain as you mentioned before you know just a kind of reasonable open conversation uh yeah. with the most expansive possibility space that we can have yeah uh, so lack of evidence and data pointing that out third false or planted memories again this is a really important point and somebody pointed out during my talk at the convention even you know from a sense you know they're all false memories every memory is a false memory and i, I don't entirely disagree with that um I wouldn't say that to certain victims of abuse or trauma uh, because we don't want to invalidate anybody's uh, memories either. So there is, there's a balance to be stricken in the way we use our language and the way that we approach this. It, it must also be compassionate. So uh, false or planted memories. Four, root causes aren't necessarily root causes. Um, tagging on to this idea of false or planted memories the way we conceptualize root causes in regression to cause can be problematic. Uh, so just having an open and honest conversation about what we mean when we say causes as not necessarily the first, not necessarily the last, but the most intense. Uh, and deferring to our clients as the experts on themselves in this regard. Uh, and fifth, uh, disclosures and ethical responsibilities. Yeah. Uh, and I defer to each hypnotherapist, each practitioner, to be their own uh, guide in this regard. Uh, but, you know, to simply have the conversation with oneself, at least, if not our clients, about what those disclosures should be. Yeah. Uh, so those are the five things. That's, that's my short list as it is right now. Uh, and I you know, will speak about those five things openly with the groups that I work with, including the individuals. The application... Uh, as you asked about before, my approach to past life regression, uh, just to say it out loud, uh, you know, the experiences themselves may or may not be past lifetime memories, but it's very clear that the narratives themselves are operating metaphorically, which I think points to very other, or excuse me, other very interesting possibilities, the way for instance, dreams communicate with our conscious mind through layers of symbols and meaning. My favorite lens through which to explore dreams and analyze dreams is that every landscape is symbolic and every character is you. Every character is the dreamer. Mm. Uh, and I think that same lens can be applied, that same filter can be applied in past life regression. It is a very helpful way of interpreting the narratives. Uh, you know, They could also be interpreted as archetypal journeys, Jungian archetypal journeys of a sort, you know, pulling these narratives out of a collect, uh, collective consciousness. All of these, again, possibilities, I think, in the most expansive possibility space that we can have, yeah. exist comfortably beside one another. Uh, and I, I like to work with groups, and again, as I mentioned, working with artists before, I really like to present it as creative play more than anything. Uh, when, it's, when it's a therapy, it's a therapy, no question. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, when it's not, it's creative play. It, I, one final note on that. When I work with businesses uh, and executives and I want to use past life regression, but that terminology isn't exactly going to, to work, I'll just call it narrative meditation. Yeah. yeah. And, it's, right. and it's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, um, 
I, I, I'm guessing as well that fits in with you know some of the stuff with regards to 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 the to narrative narrative approaches to therapy. I'm guessing fits in quite neatly with some of the the, the Ericksonian influence that that you have um, as well, does it? It's a circle into a circle. Yeah, <laughs> great, great. It's a great. circle into a circle. Yeah. Um, really, I mean, from a certain perspective, past life regression is the most Ericksonian. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, um, so, so with regards to, um, so, so, you know, rather than, rather than not, not address any of these issues, you're, you are inclined to, to educate your clients about them, um, um, and speak about some of these issues and, and that perhaps, you know, it, if, if the root cause is not actually the root cause, it, it, it's potentially, it's still your perception of what the root cause is. So therefore it's still valid. Mm -hmm. Is that what we're talking and, yeah, and, and, and so you would you, you you would educate them with regards to these issues, be really open about them, and and then and then follow follow the processes and look for look for the relevance to that that, that individual's perception of the problem and, and and so on as well. Yes, and and of course following it all the way through to the behavior. You know, it comes down to what this right, looks yes. like in the real world on a Tuesday at 2 p.m. or, you know, when you're with your family at 6 yeah. p.m. or you're trying to relax and for some reason you can't. So following that trail that you just laid out very articulately, uh, articulately more so than I did perhaps, uh, all the way to the behavior, you know, to so how does this result in action and, and, you know, resolving it on that level? Because, of course, that's where we want the change to take place. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I find this, um, I, I find this fascinating. I find it, uh, and, and I find it very interesting. Um, um, and, you know, I think there's um, um, a lot to be said about the way that um, it, it, you know, such a thing can be presented um, and the way in which, um, you know, something can be framed and, and thus can, 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 be, can be made perhaps and applied differently uh, depending upon the kind of leaning or the type of person or the the therapist and and so on, um, mm -hmm. so I, I, yeah yeah I, I find it fascinating. I find it fascinating with regards to um, the way in which you're looking to to be aware of some of the challenges and some of the critique that we've mentioned before, and and just be really neatly open with it. Um, so Daniel, you mentioned earlier something that I think was off air, but it may have been in the previous section as well. Um, 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 the Alan Watts quote. Um, would, you, would you mind repeating that? Because it really resonated neatly with me. I'd be happy to. The quote was that the past and the future, and in fact, again, let me restart. I have realized that the past and the future are real illusions and that they only exist in the present, which is all there is and all there ever will be. And I love this quote, especially his paradoxical framing of it, the real illusions, another thing that the hypnotherapist is very fond of, generally. Uh, and this sense to me, which has always been on the surface in the messaging with something like hypnotherapy and regression therapy, in the future are real illusions, and that the Buddhists solved a lot of these problems that we're talking about, temporal problems, semantic, linguistic problems around the perception of time centuries ago. Mm. Uh, and that, uh, again, with great compassion to all sides, uh, I think it points to, a, a, a again, not to sound hyperbolic, it's a failure to understand ourselves on very simple levels. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. I, I truly believe that. I credit my friend Anthony with bringing that to my attention, too, as we were having some conversation about some very large topic, I'm sure. And he said, you know, do you think this is all just the result of our failure to understand ourselves? <laughs> and, uh, and I had to agree with them at that time. And uh, I think this is another situation where if we just were to look at time together uh, a little differently, perhaps more accurately. Uh, perhaps not, though. Again, appreciate, appreciating perception itself as a hall of mirrors. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I love that quote. Thank you for asking. Yeah, to, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, the, one of the reasons that I appreciate it is because it probably it's probably one of the one of the things that that I find I, I you know that that actually starts to endear me a little bit towards some of the topics and some of the some of the some of the proponents of of regression because you know I, I can begin to empathize that some people um um you know some of the the the, the perception that exists within the now is is very real regardless of of where we sit or where we stand on 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 any part of the philosophy or any part of the debate as far as regression is concerned um, um, an individual's perception of the problem is very real and so um, um you know i i find that very interesting as well um, yeah. um it is without a doubt something that i could no doubt just keep discussing with you and keep asking you about and keep going on about um but we are um we, we, we are out of time today um, um daniel so for people who want to come and learn more even about regression and past lives and and some of the specialist subjects that you um that you talk on is it is it the same website daniel ryan crt.com yes yes it is great and you're going to be speaking um, um on, on some of these subjects in the foreseeable future yes i will i will be in new york city i'm at the womb center and January or February, I'm forgetting the exact dates, but in New York City, I'm doing events and talks regularly, and then I'll be traveling throughout 2018 and you know many years to come, so I, I do uh, hope to meet all of your listeners at some point. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, um, you know, go, I, I, I'm going to be doing my best to see if I can engineer more opportunities to go and see, see, some, of, some, see some more of what you have to say. Um, um, Daniel Ryan, thank you very much for being this week's guest. Thank you, Adam. Uh, Pleasure speaking with you. I really enjoyed that. It was lovely speaking to Daniel. Um, There's a link to his website over at this episode's page of the Hypnosis Weekly website. And if you get the chance to go and see him or speak with him um, um, or work with him professionally in any way, then do so. Uh, He's going to be doing lots of presentations, especially in his local area, uh, but around the world as well. Uh, So on to this week's evidence-based hypnosis factoid of the week. And the fact is this, uh, that it pays to be engaged and active with self-hypnosis and hypnosis, not zonked and passive. Um, So I'm going to be talking about a study by Grusellier and and colleagues uh, from back in 2001, um, for example, um, whereby self-hypnosis was shown to be significantly more effective than controls in diminishing the effects of exam stress upon the immune system. Um, um, and this was uh, th- th- this is some some really really cool research, um, something that I've spoken about a lot and I've presented and lectured on quite a lot in the last year. Um, 
Um, but to examine the effect of different types of hypnotic suggestions that might be more effective than others in contributing to enhanced immune functioning, um, Griselia and colleagues back in 2001 compared an active imagery hypnosis approach with a relaxation-based hypnosis approach. And the active mental imagery appeared to be much more effective in inhibiting the effects of stress upon certain lymphocytes. And those using the active imagery hypnosis also reported less illness during the exam period. Period. Um, there is a link to that research paper that's included on this episode's page of the Hypnosis Weekly website. Do go and have a read um, um, if that kind of thing is your bag. Uh, certainly it's mine. Um, that's it for this week's 88th edition. I do have many more exciting guests that are welcome to the Hypnosis Weekly uh, podcast in coming editions. We'll be discussing, debating, celebrating and above all remaining friends. Next time out I'll be welcoming Sarah Wall. Uh, so we'll be kicking off the new year talking about getting the body fit using the mind and her story along with her before and after photos are incredible. Do tune in for that. But that's it for another year of this podcast. I want to thank all of you um, who continue to tune in and, uh, and and enjoy what we offer up here with this podcast. I've got some incredible guests coming up in the new year. In particular, you are going to love uh, who I've got lined up for our 100th edition. Um, uh, and, and we're planning on really raising the bar as far as hypnosis podcasts go and continue leading the way in this respect. Um, I wish you and your loved ones a truly wonderful festive season. I'll be back talking to you again in the first week of the new year. All the references made in the discussions, along with related links, are posted at each episode on the Hypnosis Weekly website, www.hypnosis-weekly.com. I absolutely welcome your thoughts comments suggestions and questions so do please message me or add them on the hypnosis weekly website i'll make sure they are addressed uh, answered and explored accordingly please do share this podcast on facebook twitter and anywhere else really help us reach the hypnosis field thanks again to daniel ryan my thanks to you for tuning in ho 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 my friends my name is adam eason this has been hypnosis weekly until next time goodbye for now mm-hmm.